0: stop doing what other people tell you to do. Like you're the only one in charge of your life. You're the only one in charge of your time. You're the only one that has that choice. Um, and I would just encourage people to really listen to their gut and do what they want to do.
1: All right. Well, thanks for joining, uh, on this episode today. We're with Sally Rogers, uh, who, you know, in full transparency, the first time we've ever met. Uh, you know, put out the call on Twitter for who, who'd want to have a career conversation with me. Sally volunteered, and I just think every, in Sally's words, everyone's got a story to tell. So uh, excited to hear about your career and, and some of the shifts and turns you've made. But uh, let's kick it off with you telling us a little bit about yourself.
0: Sure. Thanks for having me, Dave. I'm really excited to be here. And I think anybody that's done any amount of pivoting in their career or just lived and explored, um would have said yes to you, because this is just such a timely, appropriate topic for folks like us. Um, so I can I can go way back if you want me to start there, and um, uh, or we can just stay current. Um, right now, I live in Boston. I love Boston. I love history. Um, I live here with my husband. We don't have any kids. We don't have any pets. We might have a puppy this year. Um, And it's taken me some time to feel really good about how important my personal life is to me and work isn't everything. Um, So you'll hear that a little bit in my story, too. And I encourage people to think about that as well, because life is more than work. Um, I started off my career at a wealth management company, um, was there for about five years. My husband's uh, startup took us to San Francisco. We were in Boston before that also, um, and I struggled to find a job. We can talk a little bit about that and to really continue the current that I had started at the wealth management company in Boston. Um, did a couple different things and then decided I wanted to become an entrepreneur, um, and we can talk about that. And that was about five years ago, and I have been following that current since, including with a move back to Boston and kind of following our personal um, in living in a city that we really loved. Um, Not that we didn't like San Francisco, but um, Boston and the history here is is kind of under our skin. Um, I like to run. I like to be active. Um, I like to hike in New England. I love to visit all the New England states, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. Spent a month in Maine during COVID in Portland. Love that little city. Um, I love sustainability and food and regenerative agriculture and thinking about how people make food choices in their lives. That's like a kind of a personal um, thing I like reading and talking to people about. And I just joined a team to help bring composting to Boston. So I'm really excited about that too.
1: Awesome. Mario. There's a lot to, to dig into there. So a question I like to kick this off with is when do you feel was like the first time in your life uh, that you started to think about a career uh, you know, I think like the obvious, like everyone asks little kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? But I think when it was like real, when you're like, OK, this is like this is actually going to affect some things. Uh, wh- when was that time? And, and kind of like what was your thought process?
0: Yeah. So um, I was actually I went straight from undergrad to grad school and I was in a Ph.D. program for musicology. Um, going straight again from undergrad to grad school, didn't really think twice about becoming a professor one day. I was going to be a professor of music history. And in the first six months um, of the program, I had this like very deep reckoning with, holy crap, what this actually means is I will be in a library for the rest of my life. It'll be an exception to not be in the library. And up until that point, I had actually not been in a library every single day. I had been playing music with my friends and with inspiring people and being in an orchestra and chamber music, and I had loved every minute of that. So this reality check for me that in order to make money in my career and in order to live, I was going to have to become a professor and do research for the rest of my life, and I was miserable alone in a library, forced me to really think about career and like what that actually means day-to-day, moment-by-moment, hour-by-hour. And so nicely, I was able to leave with a master's degree and get that first job at the wealth management company. So I was able to kind of nicely tie a bow on my academic career and say, a master's degree is as far as I can go in this very academic field, because for me personally, I am a social, active, team-based human that, like, loves people, and to think about being alone meant I just could not commit to that being my career. I would have been miserable. And I think the, the recognition and just the seeing what you're drawn to and how you spend your time gives you confidence in making the right decision for you. And I think the third thing in all this is the misery plus the how you're spending your time leads you to the confidence. So then when someone asks you or tells you, what do you mean you're leaving academia? What do you mean you're really good at this stuff, Sally? Like, you're really good. My professors were horrified. But I, through number one and number two, misery plus choice of time, I gained confidence in myself to say, no thank you, I need to do this for me. Um, And maybe like a trailing piece of that is stop, doing what other people tell you to do, like you're the only one in charge of your life. You're the only one in charge of your time. You're the only one that has that choice. Um, And I would just encourage people to really listen to their gut and do what they want to do.
1: So I'm sure we'll come back to this. I'm I'm feeling um, like a connection with self and self-awareness, which I think is sort of core, and then like a confidence to take action on it. But all right, wealth management, right? A lot of people struggle with a pivot. They've got a body of knowledge. And then they kind of like need to recontextualize it like how'd you do that
0: so one of the really cool things that happened to me in week one honestly i thought i was just going to get a job and, and get a paycheck right like they were given, willing to give me a shot i had a fantastic fantastic mentor manager for my five years there and um in, my, in the
1: interview process he was like
0: you seem smart and sorry, you're not going to get the PhD, but, like, come join us. And I'm like, did, okay. Did you
1: just like, apply online? Like, how would you? Um,
0: I connected mm-hmm. with a recruiter. I connected with a recruiter um, internally. And I think at the time – or um, in, in the city of Boston to, to help me find a job. And I think at the time, big companies were just starting to think about this idea uh, of hiring smart rather than hiring right or perfect or has the MBA. So um, – the company was just really forward thinking. And again, my my future boss was really just like tuned into, if I think you can solve the problems that are here and in front of us, I'm going to give you a chance. And using the interview process to suss out my ability to solve problems. Um, and it was fantastic because in that, to answer your question, in that very first week, um, I was given like a spreadsheet and I forget what exactly it was, but I needed to like analyze it like I needed to come up with like some sort of like summary view on something and I remember thinking like I've never done this before like I've barely been in spreadsheets right like my math was years ago and all I've been doing is looking at music and analyzing music and thinking about why the composer wrote the music they did in the time they were writing it in. and I remember going home from work that day and telling my now husband like holy crap these are the same skills like I have been working my whole life thinking about and analyzing music and loving it and I just applied that exact same skill set to a freaking spreadsheet like whole like it was mind-blowing to me I mean I'm telling you this because it that memory and that experience stuck with me because I was like oh I can do this so making that leap as much as it was um Sort of the, the future thinking of a team and a company that was willing to hire smart rather than right or with a perfect resume enabled me to, to not waste the skills that I had spent my academic career developing. Like it was just applying it to something else so yeah five years at the wealth management company i ended up being chief of staff to the cio so managed a 200 million dollar budget helped transform our resource management structure so that
1: chief we were investment a, officer
0: chief information officer so oh, okay. this was so my, chief my first information yeah. officer okay cool yeah. So in tech, I, like, all
1: right yeah
0: my first foray into tech and at the time my husband who's an engineer like helped me sort of understand and digest some of the stuff at home that i was like seeing in the workplace but gave me, I think, again, fast-forwarding to today, this confidence and experience to work with engineering and product teams. Um, And I just kind of cut my teeth on being professional Sally. I had fantastic peer colleagues that kind of showed me what to do and how to do it. I learned from them. Um, I loved loved my job there. And I, I think that I had, again, a fantastic boss who gave me a really huge opportunity to... To kind of make a difference there and um, sort of pitch beyond my, you know, the expectation that that I necessarily had for myself. Um, so, yeah, I, I just I did everything a chief of staff might do as his right hand for five years and and um, you know presented to the executive team and led team offsites. You know, a department of four hundred employees and seven hundred consultants, like just did a lot. And I thought when. That last year that I was there, we sort of knew we'd be moving to San Francisco and started thinking about, would I continue with the company? They had a San Francisco office. Like, what would that look like? And um, it was just sort of time for me to move on. It was time for me to think differently. I think I was becoming a little bit like, where is this going? What am I doing? How am I going to be old growth, Sally? Like, um, and I decided I would try to take what I had learned there and apply it to the tech world, like become chief of staff or um, a COO at a small startup. And that was sort of my plan. Um, landed in San Francisco. And in the meantime, my husband, who had a tech startup, went through YC, sold his company, like had to work at the new company. Like he was having like the incredible rare startup experience. I had an armchair view of it. We got married. It was like chaos. that um, was all within like six weeks of, of, of each other. Um, really fun. But I was like, wait, career Sally, like what is going on? I was struggling to find a job. I didn't have a network. And that's like just big pro tip. You gotta have the. You've gotta know people. You've gotta have built connections outside of your workplace, and I just didn't do that in Boston. So now I'm in a new city and I have no connections. Um, so I spent about six months dark days on the couch lamenting my lost career. I mean, it was like really, really dark days. Um, kind of breaking up with this idea that I was going to have this, like, perfect trajectory because now I've got a gap on my resume, right? And again, professional career Sally knows that that's, like, not a good thing. Um, and, you know, connected with recruiters and just tried to apply online and, and went to networking, went to, like, women in business meetups. Like, you've got to find those, like, networking groups to just, like, get a little foothold somewhere to, like, keep going. Um, I would also say to anyone listening, keep going. It's dark, I get it. Darkest days in my life were when I was unemployed and worried I was gonna be unsuccessful and like miserable in life. It was awful, awful. Um, Eventually, and this is like, again, how kind of crazy the the networking piece of this is. When I was leaving Wellington, I was at a bar, because I did a bunch of back and forth. They kept me on for a while between Boston and San Francisco. I was at a bar having dinner one night by myself and a partner at Deloitte sat down next to me and we just started talking and he was super nice. And I was like, well, tell me about Deloitte. Like what, what, what is it? Like what, what happens there? Um, and he spoke so glowingly of it and was just like, if you ever are interested in moving into consulting, like keep me posted. And I had a moment on the couch in San Francisco where I was struggling to find a job, at a startup that would give me a chance. And I thought, oh, that guy wait, am I thinking about this wrong? Like, what if I went after like the employer of choice for myself rather than the, I need to be at a tech startup? Like, what if again, I could think a little bit more openly, he spoke really highly of Deloitte. Like, maybe that's an employer that I'd wanna work for. So I did a bunch of research and it, that little sort of like redirect in my job search enabled me to think differently about like where I might be a good fit. Again, not as strongly as I feel today about like kind of this exploration of self being your professional life also, but certainly opened like a little window for me to think that like it didn't have to be just one way. It didn't have to be this like perfect story that I was trying to write and do at the same time of Sally, chief of staff that moved to San Francisco and worked at a tech startup. So I reached out to him and he was like, where what what jobs do you see and i was like oh i guess i should have that ready so yeah have that ready no know what what roles might be appropriate for you and why and i wrote him and he connected me with an internal recruiter there and i landed on a team in san francisco and worked there for a couple years um the whole time thinking like i'm just gonna do this for a while and then i'm gonna like go back to a bank and like become an executive Again, still, like, not quite committed. But after a while at Deloitte, I started thinking, oh, I could become a partner here. like Totally. I could totally do this. Do I want to do this? Well, I don't know. Um, Maybe I'll pause there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So something we talked about that I I think is an important topic, and I think, you know, great resignation, great reshuffle, whatever it's being called, um, is – what I think was this very binary conversation around professional life and profess and personal life or like career and life. And I just don't think we like segregate thought that way in in our minds. I don't know if that's the right word, but that we kind of like make that, you know, delineation in, in, in such a hard way. Um, you know, obviously there's activities we do that like make us money so that, we can live in the commercial society that we live in. Uh, and then there's those that like just bring us happiness, no money. Um, at the end of the day, it's like value. One has this sort of empirical currency to it. The other one has more of an emotional currency to it. Um, but it seems like that's something you've been working through from the beginning. It's like I love music. I, I'm, I'm good at it, uh, right, which should be like the recipe for an awesome career, being good at it. And loving doing it you should be able to find someone to pay you for it Some things easier than others but and it seems like something you've thought a lot about like striking this balance of and then also even just like this distinction of career sally versus not everything else sally i guess yeah. um, and it seems like you've gotten to a place now where maybe some of those things are, are teensy bit clearer so how are you thinking about it now
0: yeah so um That's such a good question. And you're you're absolutely right. Like this distinction was very clear to me for a very long time. Like There's professional Sally and then there's everything else Sally. And frankly, everything else Sally was like withering, right? She just had like one or two hobbies and like two or three close friends and, you know, took care of herself pretty well, but um, was largely unfulfilled. And I think if I hadn't had as great of managers and teams early on in my career, I would have been deeply unfulfilled. So I was getting a little bit of that fulfillment professionally, but not a whole lot personally. And I think becoming an entrepreneur and like trying to go it alone on a lot of projects and trying to like bring something into the world to make an impact to chase a passion to build something for my friends like I have done a little bit of everything um has been this like incredibly introspective personal journey of well that's not working and I don't have a lot of friends or that's not working and I don't have anyone to talk to about it. Well, that's not working. And wait, I like teams and I like people and I like relationships. Like, why am I not spending my time on that? And I think this sort of like dance of professional life and personal life has just become this like one singular dance in my life rather than these two that are sort of at odds or challenging each other. And I think building startups or said differently, just working on projects, like bringing something else into the world, whether you're working on in a nonprofit in your free time, or you want to help be part of a neighborhood team doing composting, like whatever that is, gives you this opportunity to be you and like lead the dance. And I, I think the fact that like Career Sally had zero, zero outside projects. I didn't volunteer time anywhere. I didn't get involved in any extra organizations or networking groups or alumni groups or neighborhood groups or I didn't do anything. And I I don't want to paint this picture that I was like a loner. Like I was just very, very set on bringing as much energy as I could to the workplace every day at the sacrifice of other things. But I think once I opened myself up to like engagement in life, it forced the question of like, who am I really? Like if I'm not professional Sally, if that's just like a suit I wear every day, like who am I really? And I would just encourage anyone that's unhappy at work or thinking about life needs to be bigger or better or different for themselves to actually go inward first or in conversation with others and start to tackle the question of who you are. And like who you want to be in the world and that question is going to open up thousands of other questions like what gives you energy where do you find flow what gets, gets you out of bed in the morning what do you want to do before you do anything else i think that's a very telling question for people
1: so you you ended up working at deloitte right yeah and that was probably like the last like uh, where you were employed before you started your entrepreneurial journey is that right
0: yeah, I actually was poached away from Deloitte by another bank and um again thought I was like on career path. Yeah. Uh-huh. I have done a little bit of everything. Um so I thought of a snack company while I was at Deloitte. I thought about it in the shower. Or I thought about it in the shower at a hotel in Chicago while I was traveling a lot and
1: best place for ideas.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and was like, "Oh, you know what's missing in every airport and mall and tiny little shop like IES seven eleven is vegetables. Like why are we not all eating vegetables? I told you like food and sustainability has just always been sort of part of my life and I was like, oh, we need like a snack concept shop in every airport, mall, rest stop, et cetera. That's like akin to an ice cream shop where instead of gelato or ice cream in buckets under the glass, it's just nut butters and hummuses of every color of the rainbow and it's beautiful and it's designed like an ice cream shop and you come in and get two scoops and a handful of carrots or celery or cucumbers or whatever and you're on your way. And I built a financial model and a business plan and just took some time to like really think about this Well, I was still at Deloitte. Then I interviewed at a bank and then they poached me away and gave me more money, more title. And was like, oh, okay, right. This is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. But man, I had drank the Kool-Aid. And at the time, you know, now we're a few years into our life in San Francisco, I finally did have friends and I was doing projects and I was thinking about life outside of work and was finding real fulfillment in this sort of entrepreneurial growth mindset way of looking at the world and was definitely more open to like life not being this perfectly laid out plan in front of me. And when things weren't quite perfectly laid out the way I wanted them to be at the bank, I was like, oh, okay, this is actually in part because I have this deep desire to like bring Nibble was the name of the company into the world. So gave notice, took my last bonus at the bank. That was bootstrap money for the company and um, took a food business school course at the Culinary Institute in Napa and went forward like within a month was like on my feet, 18 hours a day in a commissary kitchen in Oakland, chopping vegetables, doing recipe testing, working with a couple women, helping me think through like, how many ounces of vegetables need to be in a packaged good? I mean, it was so different and and so unlike anything I'd ever done. But again, like skills were transferring all over the place. Um, and if I was to fast forward just a bit. Um, I'm a year in, my sales have increased. I'm driving across the Bay Bridge multiple times a week, dropping off snacks, did the whole branding label, et cetera, dropping off snacks to tech companies. My friends that I had made outside of work, I'm now like dropping off free snacks to their companies, doing a bunch of testing. I mean, really like biased towards action, loving all of it, not taking a vacation. Keep in mind, like I had gone from a pretty cushy unlimited credit card, you know, flying around the country Six, eight weeks of vacation a year to like not taking a day off, like literally in the kitchen, 365 days a year. Um, and I like, I still feel this way about startup life that every day, every day, even the worst, lowest days, because they're there too, are more satisfying to me than the best days working in the corporate world. I just, they're just like so nourishing to me because- I can fly as fast as I want to today. Nothing, nothing is holding me back. And I just find that level of, again, engagement with the world exactly the way Sally wants to show up into it.
1: There's founder-employee as like one kind of dichotomy. And then there's corporate startup uh, as another. Uh, And I think a lot of people think they need to found uh, or start. Um, and I think you kind of have to desire other things to like, endure that. Uh, it's one thing to start it and like these, but th- there are some dark, dark days uh, on the founding path. Um, but I also think a lot of people write off just being in a startup because of the uncertainty of it, right? A big corporate comes with, and I don't even know how we define corporate, but let's call it like a, a larger, more established organization. Right there comes some sense of stability, like that's not going anywhere. Like the idea of like the company disappearing is just kind of not part of my thought process. Where if it's a startup, it's like they, they haven't made it. You know, they could evaporate, they could go out of business. But the truth is, any company could. But we've somewhat like fooled ourselves into thinking that like the bigger ones don't. Um, but can you talk a bit about that? Also, because you've got a startup experience from your now husband this kind of just maybe like thinking about those four quadrants of like corporate to startup, whatever that means, but we'll just run with it to like employee founder.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that's really astute and, and you're, you're absolutely right. And this like feeling of like flying or like my wings, not being clipped. And this feeling of like collaboration with people, those are all, that's also sort of at play with whether you're a founder, whether you're in the corporate world or, you know, vice versa. Um, I think that again it, I don't want to sound like broken record but it does come back to sort of recognizing who you are and what you need. And this risk inherent in startup land whether as founder or joining a startup, you're right, it's absolutely there and it could just go away. And it perhaps and this is like going to get like really deep, but if you as an individual struggle with commitment or maybe you had something take place in your childhood that has Challenged your idea of like what risk is in your life and what risk you're willing to take. I would just get really clear on that because what that might mean is no startup will ever be satisfying and fulfilling because you're always going to be on this like really tricky edge emotionally and subconsciously of this could all go away. And if you haven't resolved those sort of inner issues around commitment and stability your work life might always be in this really treacherous space. And I, again, like, because I have done a lot of this inner work and this acknowledgement and self-awareness of the interplay between who I am in, as an individual and what that looks like in terms of my satisfaction in the workplace, I now know that, like, my Sally inner work challenges and, and inner work, not, like, workplace, but inner being challenges and childhood issues and whatever that looks like because we all have it and anyone listening that doesn't think they, they have it is hasn't quite gotten there yet we all have it um all that means is there could be this like deep unfulfillment in startup life for you always because it doesn't have the stability that you might be seeking professionally
1: the distinction of like career and life is just not a real one yeah right because i don't think that our brains do that like our you know, our brains, I think, right, if we go down to like the most basic level, we're an organism trying to survive, yeah. right? And now life has gotten to a place where, you know, we're worried about other things besides like being eaten by a saber tooth tiger. Um, and we've allowed ourselves, we have the privilege of like thinking about being happy and and not tolerating not being happy or struggling with the idea of wanting to be happy. And careers our work let's call it well it's time right where we put our time and we live in a world where that some percentage of that time needs to go towards making money for the most of us (laughs) and and I think a lot of people don't give themselves the permission for a very for a variety of reasons to not only have that make us money but also allow ourselves to enjoy it right and I think we're working through that I think we're coming like we're in a bit of a renaissance with that um because there's like a weird survivor's guilt with it, right? It's like, well, what, you want to make money and be happy in your job? Who gets that? It's like, well, I'd like to have that and I'd I'd like to not be shamed for the pursuit of that. Um, And so it it feels to me like you've gotten beyond like, oh, work needs to check these boxes. And it's more like life needs to check these boxes and all these things need to work in concert, pun intended. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and so can you talk us a little bit about kind of like how you like what actions did you take to gain that clarity because it it feels like i don't think any of us ever like get it in the day we do i think we kind of stop growing but you're on the journey and and i feel like for a lot of people that's awesome so like you know it's a a great thing to aspire to so what helped you get there
0: um i started reading a lot more um in fact you even mentioning you know money you know and, and making money and happiness and like oh we can have it all like I remember the How of Happiness book and how that taught me that like only 10% of our happiness is based on money or title or that sort of thing. And and 90% is a lot of other stuff, 50% of which is already set in childhood. So there you go. The next layer is I pull all of my smartest friends and like new people like Dave, you're probably gonna get an email from me at some point that's like, what are the top two books you read last year? And, and you don't, I don't even need to know why I'm just gonna trust you. And those go on my list. And then what's, What I've just started doing in the last couple years, too, is loop back to you and be like, here's what I just learned from this book. Or like, here's how this book was also impactful to me, because I think the conversation about this goes back to what I was saying around like strangers and views and and being open to other views. A book is a conduit to that stranger's view. And if you can tap into that and then use it as conversation or a, a launch pad to conversation with other people you're then tapping into that stranger's view without having to have the, con- the conversation with the author themselves, which is fantastic. So I would encourage you know your listeners to like read more and then use what you've read in conversation with others or to go back to the person that made the book recommendation. I, I started very simple. It was just like people that I know, like what books did you read? And that fills my, my book list for the year. And then occasionally I'll pull in like something that I see that looks interesting. And I'm also on the path to read every Pulitzer Prize winning um, book for novel, because that's, like, just, like, a fun, like, life goal. So, um, yeah, so read a lot more, and then have conversations about, like, what you're reading, and, and and think about ways. I mean, everyone just read Atomic Habits in the last year, and, like, we stopped talking <laughs> about that, like, six months ago, right? It's like, well, why? Why are we... Did we talk about it enough? Did we apply it enough? Have we gone back to it? Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's a big one. I think also... Um, this is probably going to sound, well, I don't care how it sounds, write stuff down. Like, I spend 15 minutes a day minimum just getting things out of my head, journal, thought downloads, like, I don't have prompts anymore. I just reflect and, and look at what I'm writing and look, think about, like, well, what does this mean? And, you know, this ability to connect the dots, this skill that I grew in my musical career again, why the composer wrote what they did and how that, if you're playing an instrument, how that translates into how you perform the music, but then as a musicologist, like really reflecting on the time and sort of the anthropological pieces of why they're writing music, that connecting of dots can be applied to your own life. So if you don't have a way to sort of step out, see yourself, see what you wrote, look at a conversation, have conversations with other people about your life you're losing that ability to connect to, to connect the dots for yourself and like learn for and with yourself the third thing i would say so those are like two sort of cheap and easy ones i've also invested in like like leadership courses like the ones that say this is not your typical leadership course the ones that say this is not about managing people this is about you and the ones that kind of help you break through some of those fears. And um, I would encourage people, like, when those come across your plate, like, think about that. Because for me, talking with other people about these fears, in the same way we're doing on this podcast, in the same way that you're doing with lots of other guests, that is such a strong way to, like, connect us all and, like, break down some of that fear. And that can happen in small group settings or... Um, course coursework with other people
1: well I think with that that's a great way to leave people with good advice and actions to take um, thank you so much for sharing your career with us I feel like we can do another one of these there's like so much more to dig into but um, how can people learn a little bit more about what you're doing we'll link to the show notes in the uh, to you know to your various companies but let's go ahead and give it to folks uh, over audio as well
0: yeah just find me on LinkedIn Sally Rogers. Um, I ended up going through YC a couple summers ago with a company called Parsnip, parsnip.me, so you can follow along there. Working on a couple other projects now, um, but you know, shoot me a note, I'm always happy to talk, especially to other folks considering career jumps. And um, yeah, I, I lo- in case you can't tell, I love talking to other people. So I'm happy to be an open ear and um, a vote of confidence in championing you to figuring out like where you're headed next.
1: Awesome. Well, Sally, thanks so, so much. And I feel like this is the first of many conversations between you and me.
0: Thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate it.
1: And that's it for this episode of Nonlinear. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe, share, and rate us wherever you're listening to the show. You can learn more about Teal on our website, tealhq.com. That's Teal like the color, T-E-A-L-H-Q.com. Or follow us on social media at teal underscore HQ. Thank you so much for joining us and please tune back in to keep hearing about how we make the decisions that shape our career. The Teal Career Paths podcast is produced by Rainbow Creative with senior producer Matthew Jones and editor and associate producer Drew McPowell. You can find more information on them at rainbowcreative.co. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.